When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But yeah, there's always that little voice in the back of your head that thought, is this just a terrible mistake, this road that you have decided to go down? So I think you have to have the confidence to keep going. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple of bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, you're going to hear from middle grade author Adriana Cuevas. Adriana Cuevas is the author of the Pure Belpray Honor book, The Total Eclipse of Nestor Lopez, and the upcoming Cuba in My Pocket. She is a first-generation Cuban-American originally from Miami, Florida. A former Spanish and English as a second language teacher, Adriana currently resides in Austin, Texas with her husband and son. Welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and and taking the time out to do this. So we're going to kind of go all the way back to the beginning to get started. When did you first start getting interested in writing and how long did it take before you really started getting kind of serious about publication? I have actually been interested in writing since I was in fourth grade. Uh, My fourth grade teacher was actually a published author, and she really inspired me to write, especially when I realized that I was not artistically inclined enough to take all of the images and stories that were in my brain and put them down accurately on paper. And I was going to need to do that in words instead of drawings. And so she was the one who inspired me to write, but that was fourth grade and I'm now 42. So it was a winding journey to get to where I am now because it probably was not until 2016 when I actually started writing the first draft of Nestor Lopez that I thought, This isn't a story that I just want to tell myself anymore. I actually want this to be a book that anyone can read. So that is kind of the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, that you wanted your books out there in the world. I realized that I wasn't telling stories just for myself anymore. I have a son who's 13 now, but at the time he was at the age where he was no longer learning how to read. He was reading for pleasure and he wasn't finding books that he really connected with the main characters anymore. And so I noticed that as a storyteller myself, I had the power to give him those stories with the main characters that he needed. And so that took me from, like I said, writing for myself to wanting other people to be able to read my stories. And did that change your process at all? Did you change the way that you wrote or did you just kind of keep going? I think when you are suddenly conscious of your audience as you're writing, sometimes that can be another voice you hear in your head as you are drafting. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing because it can paralyze you at times if you listen to those voices too much. 
But I'm also, as a former teacher, I thought back to all those students that I had, particularly all the Latinx students that I had, that I knew wanted to see stories featuring Latinx characters. So they really inspired me and actually pushed me. So when I was no longer writing stories to satisfy myself, but to satisfy those students that I had, that's what actually kept me going. I think had I just been writing for myself, I would have given up and said, well, this is a fun hobby, but I don't really need to spend time and effort doing this. (laughs) But having those students and my own son as my inspiration really pushed me to want to see this out in the world. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. So once you decided you wanted to publish a book, How did you learn more about the publishing industry, like how it works and how to go about it and how to query and everything like that? I think as someone who's coming from academia, my first thought was, what organization am I supposed to join? So I joined SCBWI right away. And my local Austin chapter is incredible. We have so many fantastic authors there. And so I started going to their monthly meetings and reading as much as I could online from SCBWI. And that really helped me learn the business side. I felt pretty comfortable with the craft side of things. But in terms of what are my next steps, what am I supposed to do with this story that I have in terms of finding an agent and what you do after that, I really needed uh, an organization that I trusted and people that I trusted to steer me in the right direction. And I felt like I really got that through my local SCBWI chapter. Oh, that's great. And for the people who are listening who may be new, SCBWI is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And it is an organization for writers and illustrators who work on children's books of all ages. So just a heads up, it's scbwi.org if you want to learn more about them. And it took me forever to get those letters in the right order when I would say them for the longest time. Yeah, we just kind of like rattle it off now. Yes. (laughs) I deal with a lot of like newer writers, especially at the library. And they're like, wait, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, and then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from kind of like deciding you wanted to be published to, you know, signing with an agent and then signing your first book contract. I wrote the first draft of Nestor Lopez in the fall of 2016. And there's a slight chance that I wrote it during my plan hour while I was teaching 11th grade. But once I was done, I I didn't know where to go next. And I also realized that I made what I consider to be the rookie error of thinking my manuscript was ready to query way before it might have actually been ready Mm. to query. I had a couple of critique partners that I had met online through the, I think it's writeon.com conference. I met my very first critique partner that I still have today through that, Sarah Caput. She had read my manuscript and enjoyed it. But like I said, I didn't know business-wise where to go next. And so in May of 2017, my SCBWI chapter in Austin was having their annual conference. You could sign up to pitch your manuscript in person to an agent. And so I think rather ignorantly, I thought, well, I'm ready to do that. Let's go ahead. Let's (laughs) pitch my manuscript. The introvert in me now cannot believe that I actually did that. I had to sign up. You had three minutes to pitch your manuscript and I can still see it in my mind. It's burned in there. 
texting my mother right before my time to pitch to the agent. And I'm texting her, I can't do this. I'm just not going to show up. I'm going to back out. There's no way I am going to vomit on the table in front of this woman (laughs) because I, that pitching your work to someone I did not know at all was so petrifying to me. But like I said, my Austin chapter was so kind that several established authors, when they found out that I was about to go pitch, they made me practice with them. They said, oh, give me your pitch. Tell it to me so that you, you know, when you say it to this agent, that's not your first time giving the pitch. And so they actually let me practice with them. And I will never forget that because it was so kind and so generous. And it really did help me feel a little bit better about pitching uh, to this agent. So I survived, obviously. I pitched her my (laughs) manuscript. She enjoyed it. She said, okay, send me your pages and a query letter. So I did, and I heard back from her, and she actually gave me a little bit of an R&R, a revise and resubmit, only because she wanted me to rework the first chapter. And so I did that for her, and we had a call, and I actually ended up signing with her in December of 2017. I feel like since I started Nestor, first words on the page in fall of 2016, I'm realizing that my experience with finding an agent is perhaps a little bit quicker Mm -hmm. than a lot of people. I also was in pitch wars at the same time. I had (laughs) pitched my manuscript in person. I made it into pitch wars. So I actually had to tell my future agent, hey, I'm actually really going to be revising this manuscript because I got into pitch wars. And she was super pleased with that. Back then, the revision period for pitch wars wasn't three months like it is now, no, it right? No, it was shorter. It was, it was short. Yeah. <laughs> I think like five weeks, maybe. It was very quick. And my mentor was Jessica Bayless, and she was phenomenal in helping me narrow down my character motivations. I'm better at this now, but with my first... Nestor is really the book that actually taught me how to write a book. It was my, my learn how to learn by doing. And so I used to be very bad about giving my characters emotions and letting them actually feel things. And I think that's because I tend to be a little bit closed in that regard. And so my characters were the same way. And she really helped me let Nestor be who he really should be on the page. Let him be as messy and, and cry and be happy. But to show the reader he was feeling that way, you didn't have to infer that by what he was doing, which is normally how I tried to convey things. So being in Pitch Wars was very much a benefit to me in revising. And then once I signed with my agent, she's an editorial agent. And so she gave me quite the edit letter that had me actually rewriting the manuscript two thirds of it from scratch. But I'm so glad that I had to do that because I was able to prove to myself that I can do massive revisions, that I can be very ruthless and completely get rid of things. So now in subsequent books, I'm not as afraid of first drafts because I know I can completely change this if I want. I'm capable of doing big things when I'm revising. And so I'm very glad that that was my first experience with an agent revising a manuscript. Yeah, I can say the opposite is definitely a problem. If the first book that you have published doesn't have a lot of edits, it is much more difficult whenever you do have those large edits because you're like, but last time was so, so easy, you know, and this time is much, much more difficult. So yeah, I can see how that would be a big benefit. 
it helped because the opposite did happen to me. My second book, Cuba in My Pocket, didn't go through as many edits at all, both with my agent and with my editor that I thought, oh my gosh, this is what it could have been like the whole time. This is so, <laughs> this is so easy. This is a breeze. But like I said, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I went through that experience because I love revising. That's my absolute favorite part of the writing process. And so I really got to do what I love and do it a lot. (laughs) So after you did that big revision with your agent, what did that process look like up until you signed your contract? After I submitted the revised manuscript, she put together a submission list for editors. She sent it out, I want to say October of 2018, because we sold the book to FSG Macmillan in December of 2018. So I was only on submission two months uh, is what it ended up being, which was nice. And I got some really great feedback from editors while we were on submission, even though they were declining to buy the manuscript. But it was my first experience with having editors read my work. And so even though they were rejecting it, I was still very like enthralled that these people were even (laughs) considering me and my story. But I'm so, so pleased with where I've ended up. My editor is Trisha de Guzman at FSG. And she and I have very similar tastes in books. We have very similar perspectives on things. And so I feel like she understood Nestor to a degree that perhaps others would not have. So my book definitely ended up in the right hands. Nice. Just going back to you talking about pitching in person, even for extroverts, pitching in person is still very, very nerve wracking. I went to Ascendio, I don't know, 2013, 2014, which was a Harry Potter conference, but they had a whole like writing track that actually Alexa Dunn, who's a popular YouTuber, ran. And Veronica Roth was one of the like big names, the keynotes at that. And then they had pitching, right? And so Joanna Volpe was there receiving pitches. And so I signed up to pitch her and I was so, so nervous and very similar to what happened to you. So Veronica Roth and I had interacted on Twitter before, you know, she signed with her agent and everything. So we kind of knew each other. She was walking by and she's like, oh, are you waiting to pitch? And I said, yes. And she's like, well, do you want to practice on me? And at this point, she was Veronica Roth. Like she was, you know, bestselling author, movie deal, Veronica Roth, right? And so I was like, I don't know if this makes me less nervous or more nervous. (laughs) (laughs) But actually practicing it beforehand with another human really did help release kind of some of that nervous energy. So, yeah, that's a great thing to do for other people. I think now that we've talked about it, I'm thinking of all the conferences I've been to, maybe, maybe I'll offer that to people. Maybe that will help them. This is the part of the podcast where we usually ask people to share their query letters, but you didn't get an agent on a query letter. You got it on a verbal pitch. So we're going to do something a little bit different and we're just going to have you do a verbal pitch for your book. I'm having flashbacks. (laughs) (laughs) No. We had uh, three minutes and I had written out everything I was going to say. And so it was one of those things where I had to make sure I didn't sound like a robot where I was just reading Mm. my memorized words because I thought, well, that's going to be a turn off if I sit down. I'm like, Nestor Lopez is a young boy. (laughs) And I just, you know, I'm rattling off. 
But it's so funny how you realize how short and at the same time, how long three minutes can be mm-hmm. to pitch your work. I'm a very plot driven person. That's always my main focus. And so that was my pitch to her. I told her that Nestor Lopez was a military boy who is used to moving around a ton. And he finally gets a chance to live off of an army base when he moves in with his abuela in New Haven, Texas. And his one main goal is to make sure that nobody finds out his deepest, darkest secret, which is that he can talk to animals. But eventually, a witch shows up in town, a Tule Vieja, who derives her power from biting animals. And so Nestor has to decide whether or not he's going to risk revealing his secret in order to save all the animals in town. So that was essentially the pitch that I gave to her, which, as you can see, is way less than three minutes. So I was very afraid that I was just going to be staring at her the rest (laughs) of the time. But she was so gracious and asked me some follow-up questions. I had already been working on my second book at the time, Cuba in My Pocket, which Nestor Lopez is a contemporary fantasy. Cuba in My Pocket is historical fiction. So I actually wanted to make sure and ask her that she was okay with an author having two vastly different stories as perhaps their first two books. But when I told her the premise of Cube in My Pocket, which is a fictionalized account of my dad's immigration experience from moving to Cuba to the United States in the 1960s, she was enthralled with that as well. Mm -hmm. And so that is pretty much what took up our three minutes. She gave me some feedback on what I had told her about Nestor that she very much liked the juxtaposition of the realism of having a military boy with the fantasy of having him also be able to talk to animals. And so, yeah, and then she asked me to send her the pages and a query, which I essentially said the exact same thing in my query. But I honestly believe that I would not have signed with her as my agent if I had just cold queried her, like sent her a letter with that synopsis, with that pitch I think actually meeting her in person, connecting with her that way made a difference. It made me stand out and it honestly made her stand out to me as well. We realized that we actually have a lot in common that has really helped our professional relationship progress because now we've been together almost four years and she's a fantastic agent. And I feel like this whole time I've been talking about her, I've never mentioned that my agent is Stephanie Von Borstel of Full Circle Literary. And she's incredible. I highly recommend. (laughs) So your pitch, I love your pitch. So whenever I teach pitching, I always say that the most important things are who is your character and not like, what is their name, but like, who are they as a person? What are the conflict and what are the stakes? And, and your pitch had all those things. And so that was great. And then I also recommend that whenever you have a verbal pitch and you have a certain amount of time, you don't want to take up the whole time with your pitch because you want to give the agent opportunity to ask questions or even get feedback. Sometimes a story just isn't right for the agent, but they can still give you valuable feedback on the market and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's all great. I love it. <laughs> How has your experience been since signing your contract? Did you have any surprises along the way? Anything you weren't expecting about the publication process? My husband and I always laugh because when Nestor sold to Macmillan and my agent sent me the contract, we realized how much 
vocabulary is used in the publishing industry that they just assume everyone knows. Mm -hmm. And so when my agent sent me the contract to look over, my husband literally Googled publishing terms. And we were looking at the contract while also Googling terms, which my agent actually, we got on a phone call and she went through the contract with me to make sure I would understand everything. Because I think the biggest thing for me when whenever anyone says, well, what surprised you? What didn't you know? The biggest thing that happened to me was that I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So whenever people would give me the opportunity to ask questions or to find out more about something, I didn't know what to ask because I had no idea where my knowledge gaps were. And so it wasn't until those particular situations would arise and I needed to know something that I realized I didn't know that information. And I know that's being really vague, but it's because I can't right now think of a specific thing. Because like I said, I I wasn't aware of all the things that I didn't know and how things worked. And so I will say that's what I very much appreciated about Stephanie, because she really held my hand. I think that first year, I feel a lot more comfortable now. She doesn't have to explain as much to me, but she was really giving me a crash course in what it was like to be an agented author because I had no idea. And so it was more an experience of taking things slow because I didn't want in my ignorance to jump into something or do something that I shouldn't have done because I didn't know any better. And so I very much would send emails to Stephanie. Is this okay? Am I, can I pursue this? And what about this? Like, for example, I guess I write the teacher guides for the Sal and Gabby Break the Universe series that's part of Mm. the Rick Riordan imprint for Disney Publishing. That's apart from my agent because that's something that Disney asked me personally to do. But that whole agreement, I had no idea how that functioned outside of my agent. Like those kinds of business dealings, I had no idea what that was like. And so I would just ask Stephanie and she is very honest and open with me and is always telling me what I need to know. And so I appreciate that very much about her because as a former teacher, I, I like being taught, I guess you could say. I, I need to be told things. I don't like not knowing information that I feel like I should know. And I'm not afraid to ask questions because I don't like pretending I know things that I don't actually know either. So yeah, I think for me, the biggest surprises were more just the vast quantities of terminology and information that I had no idea existed. And now I do. And I still forget them all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really important because I feel like a lot of newer authors when they sign with an agent, they're a little bit scared and they don't want to seem like they don't know what they're doing. But I mean, that's what your agent is there for, to help you guide you on the process. And so if you have anything that you don't know, even though you think it might be dumb or it might be, you should know it, go ahead and ask them. They're not going to judge you for asking questions. Well, you definitely want to sign with an agent that you feel comfortable enough with to do that. If you're scared to ask your agent questions, then perhaps you are not with the right person for you. You know, Mm -hmm. you really want to find somebody that you are comfortable enough to just go ahead and say, hey, I have no idea what's going on here and they'll help you through it. Yeah. And if they don't, then that's a that's a mm-hmm. clue for you that you need to find a different agent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. So things that we kind of use to define authors, usually they're kind of like surface level stuff, but they're fun. Are you more of a cancer or a plotter? 
I used to be a plotter, but I'm on my fourth book now. And I've noticed that I've become more of a pantser with each book. And that terrifies me to no end, quite honestly. But I'm just trying to go with it at the moment. Awesome. I usually hear people going the other way. So that's, that's interesting. On your first draft, do you tend to be more of an overwriter or an underwriter? I'm very much an underwriter. Yes, my my third book was originally only 30,000 words. And I thought, Oh, God, I need to do something with this. I love this. I've been doing this podcast. And and so many people have said underwriter. And I thought for the longest time that so many people were overwriters, because you hear these stories about making dramatic like cuts and, and trying to cut down word count. And I've always thought, I don't do that. So I'm, you know, am I not a real writer? Yes, something wrong with me. Yes. Right. But a lot of people who I've uh, interviewed with have said underwriters. So that's great to hear. Do you tend to be more of a morning writer or a nighttime writer? I'm definitely a morning writer. I'm I'm not a night person at all, period. So (laughs) yes, definitely a morning post vast amounts of coffee writer. Mm, Nice. We're going to get to that question in a second, actually. (laughs) Actually, let's just go ahead and do it now since you said it. Coffee or tea? Cuban coffee Mm. with enough strength to possibly run your car off of. Yes. Nice. That is one thing I miss about living in South Florida. Whenever you start writing, do you usually start with a character or a plot or a concept or something else? I start with a plot. I'm very much a what if And that's due to my son. He likes to ask me hypothetical questions all the time. So I start with a situation and then I try to figure out, well, what would be the best character? What kind of person would I want to drop into that situation? And so I tend to start with plot, then go to character. And then once I've worked with those two things, I feel like I can develop what theme I'm actually wanting to address by dumping that character in that situation. Whenever you write, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? I have to have as much sound as possible. I actually watch television while I write because if it was silent, my brain would be working overtime to fill up that lack of stimulation. So I actually watch TV so that every few minutes or so I can just glance at the television, reset my brain with some different visual stimulation, and then go back to my laptop. I feel like teachers hate it when I tell students that that's my writing process, but it is. That's what works for me. Everybody's brain is different and that's what works for my brain. Yeah, it helps me a lot too. So I'm an extrovert. Obviously, I love being around people. And so sometimes when I'm not able to be around people, like even before the pandemic, late at night when coffee shops aren't open, because I'm a night writer, I would turn the TV on and also turn music on because I felt like one or the other would distract me. But together, it's just like it creates noise, you know? But I found that I can't write in... I tried writing in coffee shops pre-pandemic, but it has to be auditory and visual stimulus that I control. I would get so distracted writing in coffee shops with people and, and noise that I wasn't anticipating. That did not work for me at all. I'm very much an at-home TV on with something I've seen before and my laptop. That's how I write. <laughs> This is like going far beyond quick round questions, but this was one of the questions for Pump Talk Live when we had the Pitch Wars mentees on. Uh And one of the commenters said that she goes to coffee shops, but then she'll listen to coffee shop ambient sound in her headphones. That's so meta. (laughs) I love that. 
Because it's more, it's more of like a standard, like reliable sound rather right. than the natural sound of the coffee shop. I've successfully written in my local library mm. because it's not as noisy and it's noise that I anticipate. I know what sounds I'm going to hear in a library, but I don't know what sounds I'm going to hear in a coffee shop. And I know that sounds odd, but it has to be something that I'm anticipating. So, mm-hmm. well, since the pandemic started, I found these YouTube channels that have like jazz coffee shop kind of ambient sounds, but then they'll also have this like really pretty picture that looks like a cafe with like a glass roof and they're slightly animated. So there'll be like steam coming off a coffee cup or something. And I put that on the TV. And so it's, it's like I'm in a different place. I like that a lot. All right, let's go back to a quick round because we've talked about this for a <laughs> we while. We got distracted. Yeah, it's okay. It happens. So when it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down or get it right kind of person? I'm a get it right because I get stuck. I can't progress if I'm not comfortable with what I've written prior. I'm about eight chapters into my fourth book right now, but I've gone over those eight chapters quite a bit. But I feel like I have to because that's my foundation. I can't keep building off of that until I'm comfortable with how I've set it up. So I'm okay with, I'm not one of those where they say, you know, just start typing and don't stop until the first draft is completely done. That's not me. I I have to be comfortable with what I've written because like I said, it's my foundation that I'm laying. And so I don't mind spending lots of time on a first draft. It's not a race. (laughs) Yeah. I used to be a get it down person. But those books weren't as good as the ones that I have been writing since I started getting it right. (laughs) What tools or software do you use to draft? So my handwriting is completely illegible. So I have to, I've never handwritten a single book at all. It's pointless. So I'm a Google Docs person because I can write from anywhere. I actually wrote quite a bit of Nestor accessing Google Docs on my phone while I was waiting in the pickup line to pick up my son from school. So that's why I like Google Docs, just because you can access it from anywhere. And yeah, it has to be something that I've typed because uh, my hand does not function as quickly as my brain wants it to. <laughs> and so handwriting something is completely frustrating for me. I have to type. Yeah, I wrote a lot of um, one book when I was a nighttime security guard on Google Docs because I could do it on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell my ex-employer that. No, nope, no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> do you prefer drafting or revising more? You kind of already answered this though. I love revising. I really love revising because... To me, it's it's putting a puzzle together. You're moving pieces around. You're making a better picture with the pieces that you have. You're solving problems. I'm very creative. I'm very all over the place, but I actually can be very analytical when I want to be. And so I get to really bring out that analytical side of me when I'm revising. And I love that. I, I feel like that's one of my strengths. And so, yes, revising is my favorite thing. So I actually do it quite a bit. I don't mind going through several rounds of revision on a manuscript because I also like getting things right. And I am okay putting the work in to get it right. And last quick round question. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Oh, no, I have to write in sequential order. (laughs) I've actually never written anything out of order. It just, mm -mm, that's not how my brain works. I think because I'm very plot driven, things are very cause and effect in my stories. And so I, I have to tell it in that order. I felt like if I jumped around, I would, I would get the cause and effect wrong. So no, I'm very much a sequential writer. I've asked this question of a couple people now and the people who write in sequential order, I love that moment 
where it's almost like they panic trying to think about writing out of order. <laughs> they, they think about it and they're like, no, it's horrifying. Absolutely not. Don't do that. <laughs> I had a friend who would tell me that when she was coming up with a book idea, she would think of the last chapter first. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, my brain can't even fathom that because usually I get to the end of my books and it's more like, surprise, this is how it ends. It's a surprise to me too. So yeah. I can't even imagine doing that. Those are the people, those are the same kind of people who come up with their titles first and then write the book. Those people, I can't understand them either. They are magicians and earth real in some manner. Mm -hmm. I've never titled a book, so mm -hmm. yeah. Nope. I only title my books out of duress because my publisher makes me. <laughs> Every book I've had published, someone else has titled for me, whether it was before I started writing it or after. So, Okay, so the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. So we're about to get into that second cue. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or how did you overcome them? How did they shake out? I think the first qualm and worry that querying writers tend to have is, is am I going to sign with an agent? Is anybody going to want to sign me? Mm -hmm. And so I definitely had that worry. But I thought, well, you're not going to know the answer to this question if you don't try. So I really <laughs> thought, okay, I'm going to dive in because I did query Nestor a little bit. I think I only sent a query to maybe like 10 agents before I then had my in-person pitch. But yeah, there's always that little voice in the back of your head, the thought, is this just a terrible mistake, this road that you have decided to go down? So I think you have to have the confidence to keep going. That's one of the things I always tell students when I'm talking to them is that one of the biggest things with being an author is perseverance with you have to want it enough so that as you keep hearing no, you keep going, you keep pursuing this. And so that was one thing. And then I think like any writer, the realization that you are not the only person that's going to be reading your story anymore. The world, hopefully the world, is going to be reading your story. And so to have all of those things, like all of those jokes that I had written just to make myself laugh, I thought, <laughs> oh God, what if no one else laughs at these? Or, you know, you have this character that you've crafted that you absolutely adore. I mean, Nestor breaks my heart and I love him. But I thought, what if people don't like him? What It's, it's like a child. It's your child. And so there was definitely those nerves. And so I think once I started to get feedback from critique partners, I felt a lot better. I don't actually read reviews. I have deleted Goodreads from my phone. I know what my the star rating on Amazon is for my book, but I haven't read any of those reviews. I just reviews are for readers. They're to help people decide whether they want to read my book or not. And that's fine with me. But I know that as an author, I would internalize those reviews, even the good ones. And so I just don't read them at all. And so for me, being nervous about whether or not people were going to like my book has been assuaged a little bit because sales numbers dictate, I guess you could say that people are reading my book and enjoying it. And so that <laughs> makes me feel better. But at the same time, I think as an author, this was a story I wanted to tell regardless, and I'm glad I did. And so I think in the end, you have to tell stories for yourself more than anything. And that's what I do. I'm just glad other people like to read them as well. Nice. So it is time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that is interesting or unique? Is there any kind of snack that you need or anything like that? We talked about this a little bit of 
watching TV is a little Mm. odd, I guess, in terms of my writing process. But that actually had to change for me last March when all of a sudden my son's school was canceled. My husband is a high school construction and welding teacher. He was home now as well. So I did not have the house to myself to set it up exactly how I wanted in order to make it the ideal writing environment because they were home with me. Just like you had to train your brain with audiobooks, you were saying to listen to those. I had to train my brain differently to not need that visual stimulation anymore and to only have auditory stimulation. I had never written to only music before, but I did. Um, I wrote my third book just listening to music because I wrote it during this pandemic. And that was what I had to do because my husband and son were home with me. And it really, there was an adjustment period for my brain to be able to function in an efficient manner only with music going on. And I know that there are authors who curate special playlists for their manuscript and perhaps each chapter has a special song. That is not me because I write super Cuban books while listening to K-pop. So um, (laughs) I think the last chapter of my third book is the only chapter I've ever written while listening to a specific song. And I played it over and over and over because it just fit the feeling that I was going for. And it was the first time I had done that. And it was really odd for me because I've never written to music like that. But it was an adjustment for me to be able to be productive while just listening to music because typically my brain would get distracted thinking up images that went with the music, but not necessarily with my manuscript. So it wasn't the most efficient thing to do. But I finally learned how to just let the music be noise in the background. And so I'm a lot better at it now. But our brains are crazy. It's it's interesting to see how they work and help us write better. <laughs> Do you have any mistakes that you feel like you made along the way that you would like to share with the listeners? I know that, and I see other authors do this too, which is why I'm going to say this. I know that I queried Nestor before it was ready to query. Mm. I had not sent it to enough critique partners to read and get feedback on. I had not revised it enough to really make it the best that it was. And so I feel like it's kind of like shooting yourself in the foot because you send it to agents when it's not at its best. They turn it down. You realize it's not at its best. You end up making these big changes. And then you think, well, am I like, can I send it back to these people? Are they even going to want to read it again? Am I wasting their time? So I think there, there is that tendency, you know, we are all so excited and so eager to start our publishing journey and to sign with an agent and get on that road that I think sometimes we jump over certain signposts that perhaps we should spend more time on. And I know I should have spent more time revising Nestor before I queried it. And I think even when I did my in-person pitch, Nestor could have been polished quite a bit more uh, than it actually was. And so I'm, one, not surprised that my agent gave me the revise and resubmit, and I'm glad she did. And then I'm not surprised that we ended up massively editing and revising Nestor after we signed. But yeah, I would say it's okay. Take your time. It will happen. There is no age limit to being an author. So you're not going to run out of time. It would have benefited me. And I think it would benefit other people just to maybe spend some more time looking at their manuscripts with a critical eye before they query them. 
And you're in middle grade, but we especially see this in young adults where because we have these like early 20s, mid 20s, like wonder kids and people feel like, oh, if I'm 30 and I haven't been published in YA yet, it's too late. And it's definitely not. (laughs) I know that I would be a completely different writer if I was writing in my 20s than I am now in my 40s. That I just I'm bringing different things to the table. And so, yeah, you there's no hurry on things. It's okay. Yeah. So you've done this kind of naturally. You've answered this question kind of naturally throughout our conversation. Do you have one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey that you'd like to share with the listeners? Like I said, I tend to share with students that the road to becoming a published author requires a lot of perseverance. So I think you really have to establish the why of why are you pursuing this? For me, I come from a family of storytellers. Storytelling is very important to us. I have a strong belief that storytelling is how I preserve my culture and my family history. And so I think that because I was so grounded in why I wanted to be an author, that when I started hearing no's from critique partners, no's from agents, no's from editors. And I'm sure I've gotten a scathing review here or there. I'm just ignorant about it because I don't read them. I'm still going to keep going because my why is still there. It's always going to be with me. And so I think that if you really haven't spent some time and established why you want to do this, it's going to be easy to be blown side to side and perhaps give up. So I would encourage maybe some introspection into why you're wanting to become an author. And because there's a million answers, there's no right answer to that. It's whatever's true for you. But it's helpful to establish that before you kind of begin the journey. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. This is what I call the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. So this is not a business that most of us succeed and completely on our own. Who are some of the people and organizations who helped you along the way? I would say, like I said, my very first critique partner I ever had, and I still have her, thank goodness, is uh, Sarah Caput. Uh, She's the author of Get a Grip, Vivi Cohen, and The Many Mysteries of the Finkel Family. She was the first person who gave me permission to call myself an author Mm. because she supported me and encouraged me. And I thought that was really a breakthrough. She took me from treating writing as a hobby to this is my profession. This is something I want to pursue. And so definitely Sarah. And then, like I said, SCBWI and all its acronym glory uh, definitely benefited me quite a bit, especially, especially my local Austin chapter and all the wonderful authors there. And then like I said, my my agent, Stephanie, has been so patient with me. I feel like I am a little better at things now, but she's so good at making sure I understand the process and the business. She is the extrovert to my introvert, and she recognizes that that's our relationship, and it's wonderful that way. And then I'm so thankful to have ended up with the editor, with Trisha de Guzman, that I'm with. It's always nice when you pitch four books to an editor to decide what you're going to be writing next. And she simply looks at you and says, well, I've liked all of those because we have the same taste. And she just lets you write whatever you want to write next. And I feel like that's a a joy and a a blessing to finally be at that part. Um, So I'm very lucky to have an editor that we see very much eye to eye. But you are absolutely right. I think writing 
while we are in the act of it, it's a solitary thing. The business itself is far from solitary. It can't be. You need so many people around you because it can be very discouraging. And so you need support from more people, I think, than most would realize or recognize that they need. Mm-hmm. The Total Eclipse of Nestor Lopez is already out. Cuba in my pocket. When does that come out? It comes out September 21st. And do you want to tell the listeners anything about Cuba in my pocket before we say goodbye? It is a historical fiction middle grade about Kumba, who is sent to the United States by himself from Cuba after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion to overthrow Castro. And it's based on my dad's life. And I got to interview my dad a ton, hear a whole bunch of stories from him about growing up. I learned a lot of things that I didn't know about him, which was wonderful. And then he got to read the manuscript before he passed away in November. And to me, that is just the biggest blessing. Because like I said, I, I tell stories to preserve my family history. And this is one of the biggest examples of that, because even though my dad's no longer here, his story is for people to read. And so I am immensely grateful for that. And I'm super eager and super excited for everyone to meet my dad because his story is incredible and it's exciting. It's funny and it will make you cry. And yeah, that's just Cuba in my pocket. (laughs) That is so lovely. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Corey's Qualms and Quirks. You can find links to find out more about Adriana and her books in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on your podcast app, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo on the sidebar. And that is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.